guess you ain't from around here, yeah I guess you ain't from around here, yeah Look at what we did in the past year, yeah A lot of green like a pasture A lot of busted like a pastor Yeah, enjoy it while I'm still here I've been on the up and disappeared like the rapture No mad raps in the cheap short I'm just shopping in my Sears I ain't no soothsayer Just a truth seeker, boo tweaker Might just make a meal while I'm getting meeker just make a meal while I'm getting meeker Do I sound clear? Can you hear the soothing timbre in your ear? Look at what we did in the past year Yeah, look at what we did in the- <clears throat> Hello everyone, welcome back to Ebbs and Flow That's Esoteric Bible Study for Love of Wisdom I am Danunaki Dan And I'm here today with the Nomad What's up Nomad? And also Joshua mm-hmm. the Branch. What's up, Joshua? Shalom. And Morgan should be around if uh, she gets home in time. Uh, so she'll pop in a little bit later. But in the last episode, we talked, I think we did chapter five. We got into Cain and his lineage, and then Seth and his lineage. And that kind of prompted up. A lot of Enoch stuff. So we decided today to go into the book of Enoch. And uh, I found a website called sacred-text.com that has the full book of Enoch in it. And uh, we're probably going to do one or two, three, I don't know how many episodes on this uh, before we get into Genesis chapter six. And so this is uh, the book of Noah, a fragment. And it says, Quaking of Heaven, Behemoth, and Leviathan, uh, semicolon, the elements. So we're going to get into this and kind of read it over and then discuss it. You guys ready? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I'll just go ahead. I'll I'll read down to chapter uh, 10, and then somebody else can pick up, or line 10. Um, In the year 500, in the seventh month, on the 14th day of the month, in the life of Enoch, in the parable I saw how a mighty quaking made the heaven of heavens to quake, and the host of the Most High and the angels a thousand, thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand were disquieted with a great disquiet. And the head of days sat on the throne of his glory, and the angels and the righteous stood around him. Um, That's a lot right there. Um, And a great trembling seized me, and fear took hold of me. And my loins gave way, and dissolved were my reins, and I fell upon my face. And Michael sent another angel from among the holy ones, and he raised me up. And when he raised me up, my spirit returned, for I had not been able to endure the look of his, this host, and the commotion and the quaking of the heaven. And Michael said unto me, Why art thou? disquieted with such a vision until this day lasted the day of his mercy and he hath been merciful and long-suffering towards those who dwell on earth 
And when the day and the power and the punishment and the judgment come, which the Lord of spirits hath prepared for those who worship not the righteous law. Sorry, I lost my spot. Um, oh, quit moving. Righteous law. And for those who deny the righteous judgment and for those who take his name in vain, that day is prepared for the elect and covenant, but for the sinners and inquisition. And then, I don't know, but it's weird. It goes from like four and six, and now it has number 25. And it says, when the punishment of the Lord of spirits shall rest upon them, it shall rest in order that the punishment of Lord of spirits may not come in vain. And shall slay the children with their mothers and the children with their fathers. Afterwards, the judgment shall take place according to his mercy and his patience. And then it goes to verse 7. And on that day were two monsters parted, a female monster named Leviathan. Interesting, it's female. To dwell in the abysses of the ocean over the fountains of the waters. But he may, but the male is named Behemoth, who occupied with him his breast a waste wilderness named uh, Dudain, D-U-I-D-A-I-N, with a bunch of umlauts and stuff on it. On the east of the garden, where the elect and righteous well, where my grandfather was taken up the seventh from Adam, the first man whom the Lord of spirits created. And I besought, I besought the other angel that he show, should show me the might of those monsters, how they were parted on one day and cast, the one into the abyss of the sea and the other unto the dry land of the wilderness. And he said to me, Thou son of man, herein thou dost seek to know what is hidden. If either of you want to take over here, you can, or I can keep going. It's up to you again. I can read for a bit. And the other angel who went with me and showed me what was hidden told me what is first and last in the heaven and the heights and beneath the earth in the depth and at the ends of the heaven and on the foundation of the heaven and the chambers of the winds and how the winds are divided and how they are weighed and how the portals of the winds are reckoned, each according to the power of the wind and the power of the lights of the moon and according to the power that is fitting and the divisions of the stars according to their names, and how all the divisions are divided, and the thunders according to the places where they fall, and all the divisions that are made among the lightnings, and in my in, and that it may lighten, and their host that they may at once obey. For the thunder has places of rest which are assigned to it, while it is waiting for its peal, and the thunder and lightning are inseparable, and although not one and undivided, they both go together, through the spirit and separate not. For when the lightning lightens, the thunder utters its voice, and the spirit enforces a pause, 
during the peel and divides equally between them. For the treasury of their peels is like the sand and each one of them as it peels is held in with a brittle and turned back by the power of the spirit and pushed forward according to the many quarters of the earth. And the spirit of the sea is masculine and strong and according to the might of his strength he draws it back with a rain and in like manner it is driven forward and disperses amid all the mountains of the earth. And the spirit of the hoarfrost is his own angel, and the spirit of the hail is a good angel. And the spirit of the snow has forsaken his chambers on account of his strength. There is a special spirit therein, and that which ascends from it is like smoke, and its name is frost. And the spirit of the mist is not united with them in their chambers, but it has a special chamber for its course is glorious both in light and in darkness, and in winter and in summer, and in its chamber is an angel. And the spirit of the dew has its dwelling at the ends of the heaven, and is connected with the chambers of the rain. And its course is in winter and summer, and its clouds and the clouds of the mist are connected. And the one gives to the other, and when the spirit of the rain goes forth from its chamber, the angels come and open the chamber and lead it out. And when it is diffused over the whole earth, it unites with the water on the earth. And whensoever it unites with the water on the earth, for the waters are for those who dwell on the earth. And they are nourishment for the earth from the Most High who is in heaven. Therefore there is a measure for the rain, and the angels take it in charge. And these things I saw towards the garden of the righteous, and the angel of peace who was with me said to me, These two monsters prepared comfortably to the greatness of God shall feed. So uh, if we take it back to the beginning up here at the top, uh, the first couple sentences were about earthquakes in heaven. Which I find interesting, Uh, it says, in the parable I saw how a mighty quaking made the heaven of heavens to quake, and the host of the Most High and the angels of thousands and thousands and ten thousand times ten thousands were disquieted with great disquiet. Uh, I mean, it seems like heaven is a place on earth. That's kind of what I get out of it. What do you guys think? Not all at once. Uh, Joshua, did you have anything? I saw you put something in the chat. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to till I had everything ready. Um, so yeah, there's some things in the chat there that may be relevant. Yeah, this may, makes me think of the Box Saga, um, because the Box Saga talks about Atlantis being at the North Pole and the, that being Asgard and uh, the Kingdom of Heaven, and uh, in it they talk about uh, a great calamity that caused the Earth to shift on its axis, which is kind of the fall in its own right. Uh, fell twenty three degrees, which. It was a remainder of 66.6, because I think it was Uh, 23.4 or something like that degrees that it shifted. Um, 
So that's interesting. So the idea of heaven maybe being a place on earth and having an earthquake and um, humanity being lost to this great cataclysm that happened is uh, pretty interesting. And this doesn't talk about a, a flood, really. It just talks about a great earthquake. Uh, it doesn't mention anything about waters because we know that Noah is uh, somewhat later than this, right? Um, even though this is the book of Noah, so maybe it is talking about the waters. Um, I don't recall hearing about that, but maybe you guys can help me out. Uh, it said something about chambers of the rain and like the angels leading. There at 19. 22 for the waters or for those who dwell on the earth. Um, you said verse 19? Yeah. And the spirit of the mist is not united with them in their chambers, but it has a special chamber for its course is glorious, both in light and in darkness, and in winter and in summer, and its chamber is an angel. And the spirit of the dew yeah. has its dwelling at the ends of the heaven, and it's connected with the chambers of rain, and its courses in winter and summer, and its clouds and the clouds of the mist are connected, and the other one gives to the other. Yeah, so, I mean, that kind of reminds me of the, the waters okay. above being separated from the waters below. So it is talking about the flood here. Well, just, I mean, I don't know, maybe. Uh, well, there was another part where it said specifically that the angels were, like, leading something or trying to find it. Well, it does say in the year 500 in the seventh month on the 14th day of the month in the life of Enoch. Um, yeah, very interesting. And great trembling seized me, and fear took hold of me. And my loins gave way and dissolved were my reins, and I fell upon my face. There's some stuff um, at the very beginning. It discusses uh, the throne. And it talks about the Most High and the Head of Days. It reminded me of that title that we hear in the Bible called Agent of Days. Mm. Uh, and of course, we also refer to the new year in the Hebrew calendar as the head of the year. So Aries is a lot of times associated with that. Um, so on the Hebrew calendar, the new year begins now, actually. Um so I thought that was really interesting there. And then there's one other thing. Uh, it was talking about the chambers for the winds and uh, perhaps the sun and the moon. And it reminded me of that verse in the Bible, Matthew 24, 27, for as lightning 
that comes from the east is visible even in the west. So it will be with the coming of Jesus. Um, and then, oh, here's the Ancient of Days quote from Daniel 7, 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, which it mentions here with the hoarfrost and hail. And his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. Um, also, there's a D letter name of a place. It's, uh, it's up near the top somewhere. Well, yeah, that's that's Damn. what it reminds me of. But uh, Duodane, yeah, mm -hmm. where the wilderness, where the, the behemoth lives, uh, it reminded me of Duodel, which he had brought up there a moment ago. So maybe that's the same place, because Azazel was bound and thrown into Duodel, um, mm. the fallen angel. That's what we're talking about here are them <laughs> so i thought that was pretty weird and interesting could be the same place maybe not but uh it definitely has a parallel there um and then there was one more thing oh yeah um it was talking about the sun and then the moon and the wind and all this and the dew <laughs> and uh, it reminded me of the emerald tablets it talks about the sun as the father the moon as the mother and the wind hath carried it in its belly and that the earth is the nurse um and then rephrases it again down here it's like the father is of the sun the mother the moon the wind bore it in the womb its nurse is the earth so when you're reading all that that's what really came to my mind with some of the stuff i've heard in the emerald tablet which I think the Emerald Tablet has a lot of similarities to the scripture anyway. Um, oh, yeah, believe it or not, it's much, I mean, if you study both, it's kind of obvious at times. Yeah, Those were all of my... I read some of the beginning of Enoch uh, that we'll probably get into next time. And it talks about uh, the, the sun and moon reference in the beginning of that too. Um, so keep that in mind for next time joshua do you know anything on uh didn't alistair crowley sort of do things with the name of the emerald tablets or with thoth in general uh and do you know like the distinction just so people don't get confused if that makes sense oh um well i don't really study crowley except to know the enemy <laughs> but um yeah, I mean, I know he cha he channeled some stuff with his girlfriend or wife at the time, uh, and while they were in Egypt, and uh, although it, it wasn't Thoth necessarily, I think they called it Awas or something like that. But, but yeah, I think he maybe studied the Emerald Tablets. But the thing about Crowley is he's a thief. He stole from Revelations, the Bible, Judaism emerald tablets i mean he he just stole from everything and created his own right. 
cobbled together as in religion. So you'll find a lot of, and that's what makes it so tricky and devious is that he, he robs from all these other credible texts and, and religions and then, you know, has his own thing in there. <laughs> so I don't know, yeah, just no so offense to anybody that's into him, but right just to it's good to know that there were characters like that who were sort of rebranding a lot of this stuff and not necessarily to try and get the most accurate uh <laughs> description and translation sometimes they had other means or other um goals so just you know do but you know to make sure what you know what you're reading i have um a lot of friends that are thelemites or whatever so i have attended like their studies and it's kind of it's almost comical to me because a lot of times they're the stuff they're reading it sounds like it's just ripped straight out of the book of revelation or something and i'm and i just would kind of laugh sometimes like why don't you guys just go to church you know like y'all obviously obsessed with the bible why don't you just study it so i think it's kind of funny that but it helped me really understand the concept of an idle shepherd too because um he's kind of like leading people astray using the word of what uh, the verses, the Vedas, whatever you want to call them. So yeah, whether he's stealing from this, that, or the other, it's all like uh, an inversion of which, you know, the stories are very powerful anyway, you know, I mean, people are searching for truth and stuff. So yeah, that's a, that's my take on it though. So call me yeah. a, Ignorant. I, just want, I just want people to uh, know from my experience, I'm not judging or whatever, it's uh, whatever you think makes sense, but it was just, it can get confusing, right? When you have these characters, it's the same thing with like Tesla, right? We've gone over this. Now you search Tesla and you just get a bunch of stuff on the car company instead of on Nikola <laughs> Tesla. And that goes with it, like anything, right? There's like uh, these people who sort of the search engines and everything start to optimize. And then that's all of a sudden the source that people think that all this ancient knowledge has come from, but it's been filtered so many ways through so many different voices. And that's why we're here doing what we're doing, right. Is to try and line everything up and see where the truth is through all the game of telephone that we've been playing. Well, that said, um, what I have learned about the Emerald tablets of Thoth are that they apparently are very, very old. Now, I've heard some people say that they're not credible and more contemporary and stuff like that. But, you know, when I've read them or listened to them, I've, you know, they, there's there's stuff in it that I think is pretty solid. And like I said, it uh, for instance, there's one thing that describes it about um point mandres this like dragon creature that created everything or whatever and, and um i think thoth or Her hermes trismegistus i think it is is talking to him and um he's explaining to him about the creation of the world and that there was this uh reason it was you know like basically the logos so i thought that was kind of interesting too that it um kind of had like its creation story in there and kind of did mirror like what I would imagine a Christ, you know, is that spirit of reason. Um, so I found that parallel interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, not, it's not 
like 90% of it <laughs> is biblical or anything. It's just that you can kind of see the thread in there at times. Right. Yeah, not that I'm not everything, saying, I'm not not saying that everything needs to be Bible. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that like <laughs> there's people very modern who have just, you know, kind of done a remix with a lot of this ancient knowledge. So so it's just fun to know where they're actually coming from and like, okay, this was this guy's interpretation of it all. Let's get also back to see what the original author kind of was getting at or as close as we can identify it because a lot of the real truth has been passed down audibly and sort of survived. And we just have to, we have to find it through the minutia. We see that with the Nazis too. I mean, they tried to rebrand themselves as these Aryan folks that, uh, when in fact they, I mean, they weren't actually these people. They just yeah. like, hey, we want to be the Hyperboreans. And so now you're going to pretend like you are. And I mean, they definitely pretended well. <laughs> I mean, they were really into it, but it, it was still, uh, still, you know, like they, it wasn't their actual identity. So that's probably one of the best examples on the, on the level of a, like a society. I mean, I'm sure there are a few others, but but they had like a, I think they created something called the Aberner. I'm never going to pronounce it correctly, but Abernete <laughs> Society or something like the Thule Society, the Vril Society, all that stuff yeah. connect back to them basically uh, going on expeditions into Tibet and things like that and finding you know, cultural elements that they would then import into their society. So that reminds me a lot of Crowley, actually, how he operated. You know, it's like uh, eclectic smorgasbord for religion. <laughs> whatever uh, shotgun approach, whatever works, they kind of go with it. And it may be worth mentioning, too, that a lot of these fallen angels, part of the, because you mentioned the flood earlier and the judgment that comes with everything that angels were teaching us was considered sinful as well. So part of that purge on the earth with the flood was not only to wipe away the genetic abominations, but also all the knowledge that was being taught to humans by way of the, their exposure to the angels. So when we're reading about some of these things here, the portals, that allow the wind and the water and everything to come in. So we're kind of getting a, a little bit of a peek here at the behind the scenes or behind the curtain, as it were, of how the flood then occurred. You know, we're seeing kind of like the mechanical parts at work here. Um, so whether there be angels in charge of these portals or what have you, um, they're still kind of being discussed here. oh yeah so to wipe us out <laughs> that was the kind of the gist there um yeah i think uh, uh you mentioned hyperborea i think hyperborea was the the british isles uh there used to be a place called doggerland that they seemingly have found recently that's underwater and I think maybe that those that island chain right there was Hyperborea. That's um, an interesting point. Because Ireland was called Hiberia. Uh, 
and then that's what the Iberian Peninsula in Spain uh, and Morocco right there in Africa that the the pillars of Hercules or whatnot that's called Iberia the Iberian Peninsula so the high high and then you know there's like high Brazil and so I think that was yeah, uh, high Beria or high Borea which would have been hyperborea, but that's just my own kind of thought just from the words used. Uh, um, you know what hyperborea means, right? Uh, beyond Borea. <laughs> yeah, which we're talking about the winds here. Uh, so Boreas would be the northern wind. So I don't know if it specifically mentioned the north wind in here. It kind of just said the quarters and stuff like that. It was maybe perhaps more general, but anyway, at any rate, Boreas, I think is the Northern cold Northern wind, mm -hmm. which you mentioned for frost and hail here as well. So I think that's all <laughs> worth note. Um, one other thing is where did the Nazis go? They went to South america where we find brazil <laughs> so it's kind of funny that you know you're just talking about how brazil mm -hmm. so maybe maybe there's a, <laughs> a connection there yeah interesting i know morgan's been reading this book called the keys of enoch and there's been all kinds of interesting stuff in there um one of the things that was in there was uh it looked like a Tresca something. Uh, it's like a, I forget what it's called, Trescoloid or something like that. It's basically three, kind of like three ovals uh, put together in like, uh, like two on the bottom and one on the top. And then it has like the knot in the middle. And uh, in the book, it says like there's portals that exist uh that you can uh take to different locations and that some of these uh portals were man-made and some of them were not and it showed the locations of both on this map and that was pretty fascinating it like had the world broken up and split open in like three uh three parts um yeah because it, it mentions a portal in here um i forget where i saw that at but it has said portal yeah did you find that no man the chambers of the yeah and the chambers of the winds and how the winds are divided and how they are weighed and how the portals of the winds are reckoned mm -mm. so yeah it it seems like there are certain it seems like they're talking about how the wind works right which is still kind of a mystery to us to this day uh i mean maybe you guys know but like have they have they i guess they have probably developed maps for sort of wind channels do you know i don't know i've never looked into that to be honest and uh john it says the wind blows wherever it pleases 
you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Just relevant verse I dropped in the chat there from earlier. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. That's fascinating. <clears throat> so much of this is interesting. It uses the word portals a lot too, and it should probably be noted that Giannis or Janus is oftentimes associated with portals, doors, that sort of thing. Mm. So, you know, he could have been the one <laughs> responsible for turning on the spigot, so to speak, whenever uh, that order was given. You know, there would have been angels probably in charge of carrying out that task. So that's something to consider as well. Yeah, it said the water, the, some of the waters were locked up in a chamber and that chamber was an angel <clears throat> i thought that was pretty interesting too like the angel was the chamber uh that this water came out from that sounds a lot like aquarius to me ah but yeah it's a number 21 and when the spirit of the ring goes forth from its chamber, the angels come and open the chamber and lead it out. And when it is diffused over the whole earth, it unites with the water on the earth. And whensoever it unites with the water on the earth. Oh, uh, that wasn't it. Yeah, it's that. I mean, that sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> it actually said it was an angel, though, in the cham chamber. I can't. I don't know what that. Yeah, well, so this verse that you just read is relating, in my opinion, kind of to the creation story, or do you think this is relating to the flood story? Yeah, well, this is the um, book of it's Noah. Right that. Verse so, nineteen is what. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and the spirit of the mist is not united with them in their chambers, but it has a special chamber for its course is glorious, both in light and in darkness and in winter and in summer. And it, it and in its chamber is an angel. Okay, so it's saying in the chamber is an angel, not that the chamber is an angel. Okay, I read the mistake that wrong. But still, that's... Uh, so it seems like there are there are intelligent entities that are sort of managing the system. Is that yeah? You get from this, yeah, I feel that way. Yeah, Pretty you just much. can't see them. When people talk about the machine elves or whatever, I think they're talking right. about this sort of thing. Well, I've often talked about how uh, the analogy I've used is you know when we're doing psychedelics and things, it's almost just like we're looking at the plumbing of you know yeah, exactly. our universe actually works Mario uh, world. Are like get out of here like what are you doing exactly and so <laughs> i've been doing this decode on super mario and i'm like oh that's that actually fits with my analogy perfectly and so because yeah. they're like the plumbers of the universe they take these psychedelics and then they clean up the plumbing <laughs> yeah my got... first bad experience was like that where everything was pixelated and i always referred to that as like a Mario Brothers game type experience. It was very strange and bizarre. But yeah, it's funny you would compare it to Mario Brothers that way. Because <laughs> it yeah, you definitely see the plumbing and stuff and we can't unsee it either. 
Yeah, I think exactly. that's why divinity is associated with madness sometimes because if you're shown too much, you know, you, you, you really can't, you don't have anything in common with people anymore. Cause you know, think about Enoch coming back to the earth. Who could he really sit and chill with? You know what I mean? Everybody would think he was out of his mind. So, you know, you gotta be careful with that stuff sometimes. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. in, in the, in the story of Mario, which he used to, he was originally a carpenter, which I find that interesting, uh, just relating to Christ being a carpenter. And essentially he ends up going against, you know, the serpent, right? The Bowser, the giant, yeah. uh, Koopa, right. uh, so there's all this ancient lore, you know, that translates throughout from the Bible to Super Mario. It's like the same story. Yeah, man. I mean, it's the greatest story ever told. So why not, uh, do a spinoff <laughs> i mean it's a popular motif it's like the savior comp or, or savior uh, motif or hero's journey kind of thing there seems to be a, a heavy consistency throughout architecture archaeology and scripts um of archives. like psych archives of scripts um descriptions of like psychedelics and some sort of like uh reptilian world what do you guys think of that They're, like it's very consistent throughout every culture every society like a ruling class well like people will take trips and like see entities that are like quote-unquote reptilian like uh terence mckenna called them like uh oh, what did he say I can't remember the term he used, but essentially he had a similar story where he, he talked with all these intelligent entities and they were um, like lizard or something like that. Anyways, and then you see a man uh, like Teotihuacan, you know, the giant mm -hmm. serpent on the Temple of Hathor. There's a bunch of psychedelics on the outside. You go in and there's a giant serpent. Uh, so it's just very like every architecture seems to point to that. <clears throat> well, I think there's... Uh... And doing like symbols, symbolism on serpents, there's a lot to do with energies and the earth and females. Uh, we talked about that kind of last time with uh, St. Patrick and Eve and the serpent and how there's this uh, kind of um, relationship with these goddess deities and serpent deities and and seemingly that they all all kind of represent the earth and its balance and its chaos and its uh productive features of replenishing and and bringing new life and so i think maybe kind of when you go into uh, psychedelics you are like slipping the veil and looking under the curtain and seeing these energies uh, and and they're kind of coming to you as these uh, type of creatures uh, because, you know, the serpent is kind of, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a land animal, but it also lives in the earth. So when you kind of take that for what it is, it's kind of like, I don't know how to explain, but it would, it makes sense that it appears as a serpent uh because like the 
female earthen energies aligned to the serpent too. Does that make sense? Or is it have to do with the dust and the serpent being cursed to the dust and so it was like it became part of the earth or something and now that that once uh entity is sort of in a different realm i don't know it's very very interesting because they seem to be so um representative and like the way terence mc it's interesting you said land because that's exactly what he called it he called it uh lizard land and, mm. you know, there's like very specific entities that are engaging with them, showing them their art uh, and things like that. <clears throat> so it seems like a very specific place with specific creatures, if that makes sense. Or perhaps it's like the spiritual realm. And uh, I think we had a discussion about dinosaurs on the last episode or one of them. And the idea that these creatures existed and some of them might have been, uh, um, what's it? conscious and have a conscious soul to them uh maybe because energy can't be created nor destroyed so if they all died out a long time ago you would still have remnants of their consciousness left here too uh so and all the other animals and spirits of them uh so when you when you slip the veil you are maybe that's what you're seeing is uh i mean I've never done it, so I don't know, but, and people have never kind of explained that they look like dinosaurs at all, but these serpent type beings. So I I don't know how that works. (laughs) It's very interesting. Bring that story of the shipwrecked sailor back up because, yeah, where synopsis begins, that's, it's pretty relevant to what we're talking about here. It's an old Egyptian story, though. But here we got a shipwrecked sailor, and um, he's washed up onto the shore, and a giant serpent starts talking to him and asks him all these questions like, how would you get here? Who are you? <laughs> In other words, this is not an island for people like you. You know, this is where magical creatures live. <laughs> you know? so but he's talking about God and stuff like this, too, you know, so it's really quite an interesting story but um but he refers to kings and serpents and um, maybe even angels i can't remember but it's a pretty wild story let's read this this is the oldest oldest story i know of that is in the theme of what you're saying Oldest story, meaning like the oldest. Uh, Other than the Genesis story, I can't think of an, um, you know, maybe we got like uh, in Norse, we got Hjormunger. So there's a serpent. Uh, in Genesis, we got the serpent garden. So, I mean, there are okay. other serpent stories. Um, in the um, Bhagavad Gita, I think we've got Vitra, the serpent, great serpent. So there are a few, I guess, but. This must be like the one of the Egyptian stories with intelligent serpents. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Cool. Let's uh, go yeah, up and read that part before this. Not uh, yeah, I can read it. That's fine. Uh, the historical information is at least one source states that the papyrus having the story written upon it is located within the Imperial Museum in Saint Petersburg, but that there is no information about where it was originally discovered. Alternatively, 
it is stated that, in fact, oh my God, Vladimir Goenshev <laughs> discovered the papyrus in 1881, also stated as funny, originating from the Middle Kingdom. The scribe who copied it and who claimed it to be excellent of fingers, cunning of fingers, despite having made a few slips in the copying, is known as Amina or Amini Amina. The signature of Amina was mentioned in the 1987 edition of the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest surviving signature on a papyrus. Hmm. <clears throat> And so the synopsis of okay. the synopsis of the story is the tale begins with a follower, a sailor, announcing or stating his return from a voyage at sea. He is returning from an apparently failed expedition expedition and is anxious about how the king will receive him. An attendant reassures him, advising him on how to behave before the king and repeating the proverb. The mouth of a man saves him. To encourage his master, he tells the tale of a previous voyage on which he overcame disaster, including meeting with a god and a king. The sailor of a ship, manned by 150 sailors, fell overboard when a sudden wind caused the waves to be eight cubits high and was washed up on an island. So they're using cubits as a measurement, which is interesting, right? Because that seemingly kind of makes it older uh, because uh, Cubist kind of went out of style. Yeah. There he finds shelter and food. He says that there was nothing that was not there. While making a burnt offering to the gods, he hears thunder and feels the earth shake and sees a giant serpent approach him. The serpent asks him three times who had brought him to the island. When the sailor cannot answer, the serpent takes him to where it lives and asks the question three times more. The sailor repeats his story, now saying that he was on a mission for the king. The serpent tells him not to fear and that God has let him live and brought him to the island, and that after four months on the island, he will be rescued by sailors he knows and will return home. The serpent then relates a tragedy that had happened to him, saying that he had been on the island with 74 of his kin plus daughter, and that a star fell and they went up into flames through it. In some traditions or translations, the daughter survives, in others, she perishes with the rest. The serpent advises the sailor to be brave and to control his heart. And if he does so, he will return to his family. So this is kind of interesting about the serpent right here. It seems more seemingly that it's human than serpent-like, but it says the serpent then relates a tragedy. So he's telling him the story that had happened to him, saying that he had been on the island with 74 of his kin plus his daughter, and that a star fell. Oops, can't read it in. A star fell and they went up in flames through it. So seemingly that means like this person is one of those serpent people or serpentine or serpent-like or... Oh, 
Snap, did the eight cubit wave, was that caused by a meteorite? Like mm. a falling star? Yeah. It hit the ocean and caused a tsunami? That's pretty much what it says, right? I have I interpreted it. Yeah, that's wild. And um, and then it goes on to say, the sailor now promises the serpent that he will tell the king of his serpent's power and will send the serpent many valuable gifts, including myrrh and other incense. Laughing at him, the serpent says that the sailor is not rich, but that he, the serpent, is lord of Punt, and that the island is rich in incense, and that when the sailor leaves, he will not see the island again, as it will become water. This is kind of like High Brazil, yeah? His ship arrives to rescue him, and the serpent asks him to make me a good name in your town. Gives him many precious gifts, including spices, incense, elephant tusks, greyhounds, and baboons. The sailor returns home and gives the king the gifts he took from the island, and the king makes him an attendant and gives him serfs. Uh, the tale ends with the master telling the narrator, "Do not make the excellent, that is, do not act arrogant, my friend." Why give water to a goose, literally bird, at dawn before it's slaughtering in the morning? Uh, so that's interesting there at the end. He's saying, like, yeah, he just, why did he give you all that, knowing that you're probably going to die on your way back? Or or he's saying that to him, like, why you bring me all this? Uh, uh, you have nothing for me. Just a fancy story. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, it's a cool story. Thanks for sharing, Joshua. Uh, click yeah, on, sure. click on that punt. It says the serpent says he's Lord of Punt, and it's blue, so you can click on it. Should say, uh, Punt was an ancient kingdom known from ancient egyptian trade records it produced and exported gold aromatic resins blackwood ebony ivory and wild animals so there is a little map right there uh, not sure thanks for the geographical clue i didn't really have a good reference but that that gives a good reference there yeah, where that looks like, where's that at? Can you tell from your image on your side? Arabia. So it's okay. So Punt is, uh, it's down south there. Yeah. On Africa. Is that Africa? So it seems to be. Yeah, um, it looks like it's almost on the Horn of Africa. And further, in which uh, you get frankincense and myrrh comes from Somalia, which yeah. that's right beside Somalia. The Horn of Africa is essentially Somalia. So, yeah, that would make a lot of sense, actually. Uh, a lot of sense. That would make a lot of incense. That's <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the Red Sea. There is, there is a little... Uh, 
island there off the coast on that map that we had up it was just kind of hard to see but but there was a small island there um yeah yeah you can see it there too oh yeah a few of them actually so yeah it's hard yeah. to tell which one is on <laughs> but uh yeah it's a really wild story and i just remember it always stuck with me i don't know why i remembered it but uh I don't know mm. what I was studying at the time to, to even find it, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty wild stuff. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's basically Is Ethiopia. It Ethiopia. Yeah. And Eritrea. oh yeah. Okay. The Eritrea. Yeah. That's super interesting. Cause I was at the, we were talking about the book of Enoch and the church of Ethiopia still recognizes um, the book of Enoch as canon, right? Yeah, yeah, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be too. Is in Ethiopia, and probably one of the oldest uh, like uh, scripts that we have. I think of the Book of Enoch. And I well, really... and uh, they got the rock churches there too. You might even want to look that up. Oh yeah, quick. yeah, those are cool. Uh, Lalibela, I think it's the most famous. Uh -huh. And I relate like the Sudan, which is just north of it to uh the tribe of dan who were kind of the oh, serpent nice. people uh so that could be the serpentine kind of aspect that i was kind of going towards because it seemed human like he was talking about his daughters and giving him things so it seems more human-like than serpent-like uh didn't seem like it was uh like a weird visionary type thing uh, because he brought back material objects. Uh, so usually you can't do that if you're in a, in a, in an ethereal. Yeah. And didn't he pick him up in his mouth at one point too? Uh, and like I, he, didn't, I didn't, I like didn't read that. The man. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of funny because. <laughs> I don't know. This story kind of shocks me, but he, the first thing he did was make a sacrifice to the gods and then he comes with the quaking and thundering no less but then when the serpent gets there he tells him god has let you live he didn't talk about any other gods he said god so i thought that was kind of interesting too that here the sailor is like a polytheist but the serpent wasn't he was a monotheist <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting like the serpent had closer proximity to god so he knew the truth whereas the sailor maybe was far from knowing the truth you know and so it maybe make the mistake of worshiping angels or something whereas the snake himself being an angel perhaps like a seraphim or something knew well there's only one god silly <laughs> you know it's just so that kind of is something that jumped out to me in the story too that the serpent was actually more pious than the man also was. in uh in saying that about the tribe of dan too this would obviously take place before there was a tribe of dan uh biblically so uh, oh yeah take Same that point. for what it's worth also uh so and sailors which this yeah. story is all about ship <laughs> Well, I guess this would not take, this was a story in Egypt, so maybe not. So maybe the tribe of Dan did already exist at this time. 
Well, there was like two groups during the Exodus, I think. Um, like there was a, a like an Exodus bef- that was an attempt or something before it actually happened, and but it failed, I think. So it could could have very well been like a Dan type uprising where they were trying to do it with their own strength first, but then yeah. God did it. So that's an interesting thing to point out too. Yeah, my bad. I thought we were still uh, talking Book of Enoch uh, when we were reading the synopsis, and I, I didn't switch over, so that's why I got confused. But uh, yeah, the tribe of Dan would have been around at that time in Egypt. So uh, like when you said that, obviously they knew that there was one God, and uh, the other sailor didn't. He was a polytheist. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Dan is uh, part of the, the Hebrews, so he would have believed in one God, right? Well, he would have at least known, yeah. yeah. But uh, but their sin, I think, involved them um, serving other deities mm-hmm. other than Yahweh. That was kind of part of the the issue that they had. Yeah, yeah. Pretty fascinating. All right. Gives them greyhounds and baboons. I mean, <laughs> what a parting gift. Here's some dogs and monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> some incense. Do Tell your right. friends about. <laughs> Do it the right way, yeah. See, he sent them out pretty well. He didn't eat them or kill them or, you know, do anything like that. So, I don't know. Interesting story. All um, right. <clears throat> to go back to uh, uh, the um, this book of Enoch and the book of Noah fragment that we just read, <clears throat> I wanted to get into this one last point, and, uh, and that's in verse 7 where it says, On that day... Where two monsters parted, a female monster named Leviathan to dwell in the abyss of the ocean over the fountains of the waters. So this Leviathan seemingly is some type of water type monster or dragon. And then, but the male is named Behemoth, who occupied with his breast a waste wilderness named Duodane. On the east of the garden where the elect and righteous dwell. <clears throat> so the upper class live there near this behemoth dragon, which I find interesting as to, you know, what happens now in society. And then it says, where my grandfather was taking up the seventh from Adam the first man whom the Lord of Spirits created. So who 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 was this? Uh, who was his grandfather? Noah's grandfather was taken up? So is this Enoch? Was Noah's grandfather Enoch? Let's read this verse real quick, and then maybe we can try and figure that out. So I think this is the one you're talking about. But the male is named Behemoth, who occupied with his breast a waste wilderness named Duodane on the east of the garden where the elect and righteous dwell, where my grandfather was taken up the seventh from Adam. 
the first man from the Lord of Spirits created. And I besought the other angel that he should show me the might of those monsters, how they were parted on one day and cast the one into the abyss of the sea and the other onto the dry land of the wilderness. And he said to me, Thou son of man, herein thou dost seek to know what is hidden. So, seventh from Adam. I mean, that sounds about right, based on what we read in the Bible. But I don't know for sure. Yeah, it sounds like... lost in the genealogy sauce. <laughs> it sounds like Enoch. Uh, so, it's just interesting that he was taking taking up into heaven from the same land as the elect and the righteous dwell where this behemoth occupied the land um it's just weird i <clears throat> you know i don't think of leviathan as a male or female i guess so to have it you know said right here that it's a female and of the behemoth is the male it's kind of interesting it's kind of what is that? And it says two. It says two monsters parted, a female monster named Leviathan to dwell in the abyss of the ocean over the fountains of the waters, but the male is named Behemoth. So yeah, that is interesting. It's similar to what we see in you know the creation story of 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 Adam and Eve, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joshua, I see you dropping some knowledge in the chat. Did you want to bring up something? Well, uh, yeah, there's something here about Leviathan. I'll share. In the Talmud, Baba Bothra 75, it is told that the Leviathan will be slain and its flesh served as a feast to the righteous in the time to come and its skin used to cover the tent where the banquet will take place so um it's worth mentioning that leviathan is a kosher animal because it has fins and scales so it uh when it's being slain here and served to the righteous that i would assume the time to come here that's uh, marked by the wedding feast of the lamb and then followed by the millennial kingdom so Basically, at this wedding feast, uh, they're all going to be in a tabernacle, um, which is the tent it's describing here. And so the, the covering of that tabernacle will be the Leviathan skin, and they will be eating its flesh as a part of this um, wedding feast. So I know it sounds a little macabre, <laughs> but it's insightful at the same time. Uh, but we have to bear in mind the Leviathan is kosher. Behemoth's probably kosher also, for that matter, which would mean that Behemoth would have cloven hooves and Shua could. Um, what, ooh, yeah, what do you think the Behemoth is? Is that like a mammoth? I think of them as like an ox, probably. Um, or, I, you know, we could even think of them as Donkey Kong, <laughs> for that matter, <laughs> if you want to look Godzilla, Donkey Kong. That's kind of the Behemoth and Leviathan motif, in my opinion. But, I mean, realistically, though, I kind of see him as a, a, a maybe a very large bull, kind of like 
Babe the Blue Ox, something like mm. that. Um, of course, that's just my opinion. I mean, but, you know, with Leviathan being a sea creature and being so well suited for the sea, I'd imagine that Behemoth would have to be well suited for the land. Um, right. And what better land creature, of course? I mean, a bull has full command of its <laughs> uh, territory in a lot of ways. So imagine a, a bull the size of Leviathan and what could stand in its way. And and you were reading that from the Talmud. Would you mind giving us a little background into what that is? Oh, well, that's just the um, the the little part I grabbed there happened to be from that but the i don't like the talmud personally because it's generally where you find a lot of the a lot of the issues people have with judaism seem to come from the talmud um and it's fairly newer right pardon it's it's fairly new right like it was a sort of an addition it's more or less commentary on the scriptures is what it is so human human men have added their own words to the scripture and that's the that's the problem <laughs> so it's a lot like hadiths in in islam where you know it's not the quran that people have a problem with whether they know it or not it's the hadiths it's the commentary on quran that's the problem it's not the uh, pentateuch or the first five books of the bible that people have a problem with it's the talmud that they have a problem with so it's easy amen brother right on thanks for mentioning that so yeah so the talmud itself i mean yeah there's probably a few gems here and there and that as far as like just gnosis is concerned but i would by no means um consider it like an authoritative text or the word of god but a lot of the uh, reasons they don't like christ they also include those in there as well right yeah i feel like leviathan is talked a lot about um and you know we learn here that it's the female monster but then yeah i don't feel like you actually hear about behemoth as much It, it was kind of commercialized i feel like that word but the actual creature itself i feel like is is not really talked about so that's a good find can we go to uh can we compare revelation 13 to this because in revelation 13 you got the beast from the sea and the beast of the earth <clears throat> we're probably referencing them oh. in this case and and the mark of the beast is uh created by one and pushed by the other so mm-hmm. i think that that's very relevant right here it was revelations what a chapter 13 Pergamum. oh you might have heard her voice, but Morgan has joined us. How you doing, Morgan? Hey, guys. <laughs> Sorry I'm late. It's all good. It's okay, man. Glad you're here. I'm first. So, yeah, we were talking about this Leviathan and how it's a female <clears throat> and the behemoth is a male. Uh, I, I kind of considered the behemoth as, what if it was, because it just says it's a monster, uh, just like, the female one uh so what if it is a, a dragon or a serpent just like the leviathan and uh it's interesting because on the caduceus you have the two serpents intertangled with each other so it's a kind of the idea of taming the land and the sea uh type of aspect or the energies therein 
they made a deal. So I, I just thought I'd throw that out too. Because uh, I've never heard too much of what either of them could be. You know, it uh, talks about them as monsters. So I guess it's kind of left up to imagination what you want it to be somewhat. Well, like it's kind of, and I don't wait. Are we interrupting you, Josh? Did you want to say something? Because were we talking about something? Well, or... I was going to say that, you know, there are descriptions of Leviathan and Job, I think. Yeah. Um, Leviticus? As a, a fire breathing dragon. But, uh, you know, so it's interesting when we look at Revelation 13 because it's described as a lamb, but also speaking as a dragon. And so there is, it's like a blend of some sort as well. But uh, Morgan made the comment, uh, uh, they made a deal. <laughs> well, well, that's in the... There is a talk about covenant may, uh, being you know made as, as well with Leviathan. And that's in Job, I think, also. It's echoed throughout the entire um text no matter like uh what what you read it's cool that we all have like little nuggets that we could put together from different types of text and different points of views but that's how word magic also happens so um in like are we still are we talking what are what part of the bible are we talking about right now we're not are we this in Okay, so the deal in Enoch was uh, those three fallen angels were supposed to do something. And hold on, I have the notes on my phone. I'm always the one like, hold on, let me get my notes. But really, it's important. Uh, So like the only real like book of enoch that they have first of all is did you guys cover that like the ethiopian one and that it was written like first century to ninth century ce so it was like their original text you know what i mean whether it was aramaic or greek or like uh hebrew it was a mixture of all three so it's like the closest to sourced so that's important um but it was like a deal between like three fallen angels um that knew that what they were supposed to do and they went and did it and it was the opposite. It was like the first rebellion. I'm telling you, Christians are like the rebels of all rebels or like any type of religious faith like that will literally echo throughout because they made a covenant. <clears throat> and I wish, hold on. Um, Ariel, Michael, and what's the third one? There was a third one the to form it. Was it? Uh, I can't remember the third one. It was Uriel, Machael, obviously, because then St. Michael's brought up a whole lot. Um, but I can't remember the third Gabriel? one. But okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think it is Gabriel. Or maybe Gabriel's the one, like, watching. Shimyaza. Shimyaza? Jimmy Yaza? 
I would really like to know, uh, but unfortunately, I was just like listening to it, you know, being read. And I don't have the actual book of Enoch, uh, one Enoch, because there's five books. But, um, <clears throat> and sorry, I'm like a horrible public speaker, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for dealing with me, guys. Um, <laughs> So uh, they went and told Enoch instead. They were supposed to go tell God what they saw, and they went and told Enoch instead. <clears throat> and uh, so that's where, like, things changed, and that's where it kind of rippled throughout. So there were 200 angelic names written in that book uh, during the Second Temple, which could also mean 200 demonic names, because that's when kind of like uh the sort they started using um pseudo judic pseudo jewish magic back then to uh so it was like half jewish magic half made up half ass magic along with like pagan hierarchies of gods to do magic that would actually kind of work so um it kind of they kind of they they're packed kind of they they messed up they should have put that in there should, they should have put this in there but i understand why they didn't um like the the smallest thing will like a love a leviathan might happen on a different uh realm somewhere because you told a lie right now you know what i'm saying like um things happen or things disappear because of some other reason does that make sense? I think that's kind of established in the book of Enoch. Yeah, and so, then also like So Joshua posted Shemyaza and uh I clicked on the link for Shemyaza and it says that he was one of the um is a fallen angel or apocryphal Abrahamic traditions and mechanism who ranked in the heavenly hierarchy as the leader of the Watchers. Uh, the scholars lean toward the Semitic etymology of this appellation, which contains the letters Shin and Mem, thus suggesting their derivation from either name or heavens. Um, and then it says the Book of Enoch. In the Book of Enoch, one of the apocryphal writings Samyaza is portrayed as a leader of a band of angels called sons of God or watchers. <clears throat> These watchers became consumed with lust for mortal women and entered into machinations against heaven in order to consummate their desires. Does that sound uh, right. like the, the missing angel you're referring to? Um. Well... No, what happened was okay. when during the second temple, um, all of it. So if you're like a son of like this holy bloodline, like you're considered a god back then. And what happened? They were not supposed to mate. Oh, they weren't. I feel like they weren't really just supposed to mate with anybody. Um, so. Personally, my opinion, I'm not going to put that in there because it doesn't matter. But like from what I've written in the text is they did it anyway. 
And whether that be by like DNA manipulation or they simply were literal giants and entered into the daughters of of mortal men, I don't know. But something happened um, that was unnatural. Uh, It was unnatural law. So it gave us um, dualism pretty much is how I feel about it. Doesn't matter how I feel about it, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, it gave you kind of like a script before the fall, like how it happened, why the flood happened, why that fall happened, and like what continuously keeps going wrong, and how there really kind of is nothing new under the sun, you know. Sorry about that rant, but um, no, you're good. Uh, It's kind of like extra script. We were going to get into that because that is in the book of Enoch in chapter six. Uh, we are going to do that for next episode, but I'll, because it came up right now, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, in chapter six, it says, uh, verse one, and it came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto the beautiful and comely daughters and the angels, the children of heaven saw and lusted after them. And said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men, and beget us children. And Semyaza, who was a, their leader, said unto them, I fear ye will not indeed agree to this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath, and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations, not to abandon this plan, but to do the thing. Then swear they all together and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And they were in all 200 who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. And they called it Mount Hermon Mm -hmm. because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are their names of the leaders. Yep. Semiazabad, their leader, Arakeba, Ramil, Tokabil, Tamil, Ramil, Daniel, they all um, Ezequiel, Baraquijal, Baraquijal, Asael, Armeros, Batarel, Ananel, Zaquil, Samsapil, Satariel, Turel, Jombajel, Sariel. These are their chiefs of tens. Their chieftains. So that kind of you know the number ten keeps coming up. Yeah, that kind of related to what you're talking about there, um, and then that's going to kind of go into uh, Genesis chapter six as well. Um, but yeah, so so what you're saying is they made those angels made a deal with, uh, with who? Each other. Okay, yeah. So they made they took an oath, <clears throat> and because of that, it rippled throughout generations. Um, that's how, you know, it became two hundred. Well, there's time, you know? 200, 200 angels. 
Yeah, but then like the the math like adds up after that. And I'm I'm not really sure how, but also every angel means literally something else. Yeah, I like the whole name. But where do we leave off? So I know like wh- where does Stu at? <laughs> Sorry for being late, guys. That's fine, man. I thought that we were canceled, so I went to my friend Blair's house, and I was like, oh, shit, Blair, I gotta go. I have a Bible study, and she was like, you what? I was like, yeah. So do you- don't drive fast your guardian angel. What do you guys see? What? <laughs> Are you guys seeing uh, think- chapter six on the screen? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It gets in the way. Uh, so we were in um, a different <clears throat> book. We were in uh, yeah, the, I mean, the book of Noah that are more recent than the other. But think about this: like <clears throat> Enoch is Noah's great grandfather. Yes. So what if, like, you know, they were like, okay, so, um, you know, Enoch, we took him, God took him, he vanished, he walked with God. <sighs> so was that like, what if they, this is just a hypothetical, like, you know, what if they were trying to, like, somehow channel um Enoch through through his messages and that's why it's so sacred because there's a lot of different meanings for different things in this text to make it seem as if it were something that it's not does that make sense or was that just a huge riddle it's kind of a riddle. But I think what you're saying is, I mean, uh, what if they took Enoch up and, and made an oath with him and then put him back and then he was there to misconstrue things to other people? Is that what I'm getting? Well, like Enoch and maybe his son and maybe his great-grandson too. So the whole generations. Yeah, and then Noah was the bridge to knowledge after the flood because... He flooded, God flooded everyone else out. And God also made a deal. That's why, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but that's why um, God made a deal with Adam, Abraham, David, maybe all of them. Hell, I don't know. Because he made a deal with one, he made a deal with all. I don't know. Either way, like, um, because you followed my commandments, um, you know, you're going to be blessed and your people will, you know, be my people or what have you. Um, Even though they do horrible things, he has to keep his covenant with them because he promised them that. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that doesn't mean they're going to be free of punishment. 
that just means he has to fulfill his end of the deal. So, you know, we still see in uh, prophecy about Jacob's trouble, for instance, which is what we're going to be seeing with Israel very soon, actually. You know, they're being very prosperous and doing really well. Well, <laughs> that's about to come to an end abruptly um, because of their sins. You know, so, yeah, I mean, there is this promise to... Um, but then, you know, think of it like a father and a, and a child, you know, a father's duty might be to take care of that child and, and give them blessings and such. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not going to punish you <laughs> when you deserve it. So, you know, blessings when you deserve it, sure. Punishments when you deserve it, sure. All the same, father, Abba is Abba. So Abba is Abba. You got to remember he's raising us at the same time too, you know, and in a way I kind of see it like the millennial reign is like the restoration of the time that before the fall, you know, so in a lot of ways, what we're going through now is going to kind of mirror what was in the beginning with Adam. Um, he was, yeah, another fall. Except this time we're falling upwards in a sense. And that I think so we too. know. The difference between good and evil whereas then he didn't you know so we know a lot of things that adam didn't know of course adam knew everything he needed to know he just wasn't content with that um him and eve you know chose wisdom and so on and so forth but so i think that's an interesting bookend to the story is how different things are now like for instance the devil was able to trick adam and eve in the beginning because they were very naive they were not wise to evil well how hard is it for the devil to trick us now you know when you see evil you know it a lot of times you know maybe we don't always know but we have the eye for it now that we that maybe they didn't have in the beginning so i think that's also an interesting point to make we have the uh word too which they did not have in the beginning you know, um, which I think is important as well. And I think that uh, thanks for shedding some positivity on like the current situation, because <clears throat> a lot of people I know are like doom and gloom and super depressed. And like, and I'm, I think you're right. I think it is a positive thing what we're going through, especially because um, more people do kind of understand that. Um, it's also a paradigm shift of like consciousness, like meaning just the way you live, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle. So there has to be a reconstruction of some sort. So, um, that's exciting, right? Oh yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing too. Um, you know, how real is it? <laughs> Cause if, if, if you do really believe the things that we read, then, um again there's that promise too because that that's a shared inheritance talks about these sons of god these fallen angels being called sons of god so at one point they had an inheritance they had an estate it says that they lost their, their lot so that would mean that they were basically cut out of the will right mm -hmm. and um so a lot of that inheritance i think was probably given to us in uh some ways but but you know these covenants that were made that's basically where he's writing them into his will he's saying okay you know i'm gonna 
will this to you. This is your yours to have and to give to your generations. So we're in a so prior to 1948 with the establishment of Israel, that was a period of captivity um, for 2,000 years. And then so with the creation of Israel, that is when they, by their own power, are reestablishing the land and saying that they're no longer in captivity while they persist in disobedience. And um, so that's why the covenants that we're seeing right now are so interesting too, because they're making these covenants to try and establish peace. But um, that too is an act of disobedience. So that's why the sudden destruction will come. But the destruction that come isn't just for them but also some of these fallen angels that we see mentioned in Enoch. So it's kind of interesting to me how they all weave together. They do. It's like dad figured out a way to not only punish his children, but he's punishing the dog, <laughs> the, <laughs> the children, the friends that are over, like everybody's. Uh, the the things that creep and crawl on the ground. Yeah. All the way. I mean, A B B A from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And I think Burn that the house down with everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that what these um fallen angels did or were trying to do is uh find a way to not return to dust and to keep living. Um, so I don't know. If and point. every, I truly think that, and on, and another thing to remember is that you don't know what day we're currently on, and every day God said was good, and there was a Sabbath, and it did last forever. It does last forever once you know you get there. So everything, um, like you don't know where we in succession that we are because if you read Enoch, it talks about like um ascending your your physical body uh to a light being and i think that's important to mention because this was written in the first century of the common era about like right before or right when i don't even know <clears throat> rome was taking over that area so the they were all Enoch speaking to each other I thought the book of Enoch was the oldest uh, oldest text that was around since like the 4,000 or 3,000 BC. Because well, even Jesus makes reference to the book of Enoch. Well, because Jesus is in the New Testament and Enoch comes, it's, I'm assuming, comes after uh genesis to help it or maybe like it should have been the chapter before the flood i don't know or maybe it should have been layered in there as well or maybe they took it all out because of the actual knowledge that's in there that could be used for good or bad but um it is also um a whole different like i think that it is currently what is trying to happen today uh people are trying to outlive their mortality 
So, um, well, you know. Enoch is seemingly the grandfather of Noah, so that would have been a pre-Diluvian text if he had wrote it himself. Right. So that would have been he was, flood. And he they said that they said he was called up um bec- to because he was a scribe, so he was scribing for a higher source. Um he wasn't just like making this up. Um, normally, and this is a known thing, um, when people are writing a religious text, even if it's not canonized, but especially if it is, they're being holocausted most of the time. So these. What books, do you mean by that? Like. <clears throat> something is happening to their culture and their people. It's going through a wash. Yeah. Um. You guys just stop me if I like go on a tangent or like, I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> I just, uh, this is such an interesting text to me. Um, and Either way that you take it, it helps you understand that there's a purpose for everything. Um, or it kind of helped me with that in the slightest. Um, but basically, so uh, the Holy Spirit is the the woman, the like the divine feminine. So that kind of like makes me question why we don't like speak of it now does that make sense so uh to clarify Um, before we get into that uh i I looked up the book of enoch and when it was written and it says uh that it was written during the second century bc it's argued from the sec from the first to the ninth because some texts are from ninth century but the ethiopian the Ethio, the one from Ethiopia is um, second century. Well, it's just a later ad- adaptation of it, then, yeah. Well, see, here's the tricky part, and that's funny that you bring this up because the language and linguistics are Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. So you have to remember 1177 BC, they had globalization. Everyone was talking to each other, trading with each other. This was, they were a civilization. They were not like just skipping rocks and trying to figure out how to rawhide. You know, they were actually like living like we do now. Um, So it's, unclear who actually wrote the text um whether it was hebrew aramaic or greek in its original form but um it's interesting that it has all three in there it was on the page but it like made me click a button and take me off of it i was gonna read some of what it said about the book of Enoch. I'm like um, really knowing this too. Let's see if it uh, redirects me. But uh, dang it. 
My internet's slow, so. Josh, add anything if you feel like you need to or wake up. I'm trying to stay awake. I'm really sleepy. It it's says, like uh, uh, one o'clock here. Yeah, it I says, know, uh, I feel you. When, when the book of Enoch was written, what is the significance? Is the apocryphal work inspired by God? Question mark. What are its claims? Question mark. Is it part of the Jewish canon? Question mark. The answers to this question depends on what you believe. It is likely apocryphal if it was written in the ancient Middle East. However, it may... Oh my God, freaking robots. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, However, it may not be false, and it could be a central source for Jewish history and philosophy. The Book of Enoch is said to have been written during the 2nd century BC. It was one of the most critical non-canonical pseudo-pygraphical outcomes. Its only full extent version is an Ethiopic translation of another Greek translation made sometime later in Palestine from the actual Hebrew or Aramaic. I'm obsessed with that. Like that is one of my favorite parts because I love anything Aramaic. I love anything that you have linguistics about or actual history written into because now you can actually track stuff. And there you go. Yeah. Um, also, I want to mention something really quick about uh what they call like the pseudodiographica or whatever. Um, they will, it's one of those things that is hidden in plain sight. So um, it's false. Like I was talking about uh, on the phone earlier, I guess, like if you want to make something mean nothing, you just fossilize it. So you talk around it and you make it mean nothing. And then the actual thing means nothing, which then once you start talking about it, it becomes something. And that's kind of like how that book works. I feel like when things are going through what we're going through currently, like a huge shift and a huge change. And I think that's what they call the hagio uh hagionomonical books um so uh i could be wrong about that and i hate that i could be wrong about that i'm winging this but they uh they they have a they have a whole like list of books that they have under those categories that <clears throat> get brought out and then go back into hiding uh to me, that's how all egregores work, is uh, you manifest them into being. So I, I, I think that people take this seriously, and they yeah. manifest it into being by doing those things to make the uh, prophecies come true. You kind of see it throughout, even when Jesus rides backwards on the donkey through the gate. Uh, he, upside down talking out of his pants there well he's I'm aware he's aware of the prophecy and what it is and so they all are aware that they know they need to do that to fulfill the prophecy uh, so I, I think in a way even now people are still trying to fulfill the prophecy of revelation 
And that's seemingly what we're seeing in today's world is that there are people out there wanting to make it come true because they want to go. They want Jesus to come back so that they can be saved and go to the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's why they're manifesting. Um, in the book of Enoch, there is also, so there's five books within the actual, like within his books. And uh, one is the watchers, two are the parables, three are the astronomicals, four is dream vision. And then, you know, five is the pistol of Enoch. So um, all of these are like divination or, you know, the sacred, like the initiated arts that um, probably everyone doesn't, didn't or hasn't needed to know or probably couldn't wrap their head around because um it really is a lot to take in if you have um, any sort of group of people that you can put your text together and try to get like different knowledge out of it. I think it's mind blowing. Yeah. Um, I think in some of the next few episodes, we're going to get deeper into some of these uh, books of uh, some chapters from the book of Enoch um specifically this one uh, that we just read of the of Noah um because there's several more chapters to go in this tale of Noah and we just kind of stopped um at like the flood scene in chapter 5 and then we're getting get into chapter 6 and the nephilim and stuff so we're kind of taking our time here because uh, Enoch came up and, uh, you know, kind of going through the book of Enoch to see what it says about the flood, to see if there's any deeper knowledge in this uh, that wasn't put into the Bible. Because the Bible and the flood part, it seems to go pretty quickly and not so many words, uh, but it's a big story. And it seems like there's a lot more in the book of Enoch that has to do with that. Um, it talks about it in more more words for sure and it's almost it's interesting because in the first few chapters like in chapter six that one that i read earlier it it almost it it seemingly seems like they're aware that they're going to do bad because it says uh uh, shamyaza says i fear ye will not indeed agree to do this deed and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered mm. him and said, let us swear an oath. And so even though he, Shemyaza was aware that he was going to pay the ultimate price for this, they all agreed uh, to, to do an oath because it wasn't going to be their head that was on the line. It was going to be him. So, and, uh, and then. Okay. The, sure. And then so then they all swore and bound themselves together. And then uh, then they started to take wives for themselves uh, of these human women, which it gets into another interesting type of thing 
is that they were able to bear children with them. So as much as people say there might have been angels, that doesn't seem very uh, metaphysical to me. It seems more of a physical relationship and taking wives. So these had to be physical beings, in my opinion, and not just um, some type of angelic, you know, different dimension type of being uh, to be able to have sexual relations and produce children. They're pre-flood people who were learned in every area. I mean, that's like the most layman term that I can come up with that makes sense that is not opinionated. Homo sapiens? Yeah, they're the sons of the people prior to the flood. Because also I'd like to mention that... um, Plato's Republic mimics this very much so that um, it's almost as if one was, uh, you know, inspired by the other because he does, Plato does speak about Atlantis, you know, being and then falling. So I just want to add that if people want to make a little bit more sense about like um, what the Book of Enoch actually entails. Uh, Plato's Republic, if you're into philosophy, is a good way to look at it. Um, just saying. He also outlines the New World Order. And Absolutely. I don't know if it's that one or another one of them, but he writes about that as well. So I think the two are connected because basically mm-hmm. that's who's in charge of the New World Order. <laughs> are these the fallen angels, yeah. Um, it mimics completely, but at the end of Plato's Republic, I will. It's good news, it does say it doesn't work out, so <laughs> we got that going for us, <clears throat> yeah. Well, on that note, I think uh, we did as much as we can do here. Do you did you want to say anything else, Morton? Did you want to bring up anything else before we go? Um, so just about that chapter or in general, um, in general or about that chapter, I can go back to what we are reading if you want to, uh, look at it. Um, I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, this is important to me though. So sorry I was late and thank you for having a fellowship with me. Yeah, for sure. Of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, okay. next week we're going to do part two of this and go to chapter LXI. Uh, so if you want to read It's funny that, that it's like uh, chaptered with the L's. I mean, only Roman because uh, yeah. Lucian. <laughs> well, I mean, just L being connected oh. with like Lucian and then like the fallen. I don't know, it just all connects. Well, L is, everything. L is 50 and uh, it doesn't matter, it still goes, okay? Okay, whatever you say. <laughs> and there's a reason why Enoch's uh, name is uh, fashioned in that way also uh, with okay. the cross in front and 
with the cross behind it. Does anyone know? I don't know. That is sigil magic. What are you referring to? And um, the first verse where it says in the month of the life of Enoch, and then it has a cross in front of Enoch's name and a cross behind it. And that's sigil magic. So I was just wondering if you guys knew what that could possibly mean. I think it means he's angelic. Because by no means is there any mistake in this, in any of this. So I was just wondering. Well, Enoch's years was 365, so the the two crosses could be some type of reference to uh, the days of the year or something of that nature. And also, uh, for the name Duodain, the wilderness name Duodain, it has those same crosses before and after it in the verses. Like, so, like, the Druze, like, the, the, the Druid that the druids, is yeah, living forever in a Chiron. <laughs> the druid, druidane, yeah, duidane, yeah, it could be connected to druids. Lives forever. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm. I was just trying to find like maybe somewhere. I'll have an answer next time. Um, we talk about that. Maybe it's because it's still living. Oh, who maybe. knows? It's still being written. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. I wonder if there's like a table uh, contents or there uh, is somewhere there is there's that explains like what the different things mean. There's an appendix here, but doesn't say. Well, anyways, thank you all for joining me. Nomad has already left the building. Uh, He had to jump out early. Uh, so thank you, Morgan, for popping on, and thank you, Joshua, as well. If you guys have any links that Thanks you guys want uh, people to go check out, uh, do so now. You can find me on Telegram and uh, Joshua the Branch. You can sometimes find me with the Weaving Spiders on Wednesdays or possibly even Saturday. Um yeah, so if you have any questions pertaining to what you've heard, you can find me on there and chat me up or leave a comment um, under this video or podcast. Yeah. Morgan, you got anything? I'm Morgan. You can find me on Instagram. I'm uh, at the Morgan B M O R R I G A N B, and I'm on Telegram. I am all over all the chats um, and it's fun. So yeah, um, (laughs) this is going to get really interesting. So please stay tuned. It's going to be like a sci-fi movie. (laughs) Aren't you guys also recording a constellation thing right now? Yes, we are. Yes. And you're doing Gemini, right? Uh, yeah, no. Joshua. Maybe. <laughs> oh, I thought she was asking you that. No, I was asking you. And even oh, though that is yeah, Dan's yeah. sun sign. I'm a little delayed. I'm tired. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind helping with it. Yeah, yeah. I just thought you were well, talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, like, we'll, we'll have a convo about it. We had uh, Gabe on it's... 
and uh, to do boots with us, and we each did a constellation with him, and it took about three hours. So uh, when we do have a guest on, we're just going to bring him on for that, and we're going to do our own research also into the same constellation, and we'll just converge on the same topic instead of of doing several of them uh, because we want the the person that comes on the guest to have have the mic basically you know and then we can just add a comment to, to that uh but the 88 has been say that again fun. yeah the 88 is have... going the 88 has been going pretty well and uh i've been learning a lot through that so i'm very excited about that show also yes Sorry if I cut you off there, Joshua. What were you saying? Oh, I was just gonna say uh, it should be fun because I have a lot to offer on Gemini. Excellent. Yeah, it's my sign it's too. So sign sign be too. Very into it also. A lot of twins. I'm just gonna listen. Yeah. I'll take it in. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a while before we get the Gemini. There's like eleven C's that we have to go through. I think we've only gotten through one so <laughs> it's kind of weird that it's the third letter of the alphabet that we have the most of i mean okay so josh like the the stars coincide with what we're going through currently so it's like we're double studying up on the same thing but in two different completely totally different diabolical diabolical ways basically it's very interesting Yes. Oh, you mean like how they complement one another? Well, yeah, studying the Bible and then going through the constellations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, twilight language to the, or the artwork to the twilight language in a sense. We got the words here, but the pictures above. It's kind of nice to see where they fit in. I also have a mm -hmm. some information I can share with you guys on how the constellations relate to the Hebrew letters. So you might find it interesting to yeah. Hebrew letters. Is it the division stones? No. I mean, there are the zodiacal associations, of course, but um, I think that each of the constellations also re might reference a Hebrew letter. So it could just add another layer to your studies to... Uh, Maybe determine if, if indeed, the constellation you're studying has any kind of a association with a Hebrew letter. I'm not sure. Heck, the other yes. That though, but I know that one does. Well, and the cool thing about that is we found out that, you know, um, they it goes all the way back to. Um, the ancient uh, Manichaean or Chaldean, you know, um, it originates there, which originates where I'm not going to go. It's a long way. Y'all could track it if you want. But um, so, but what people did was they kept that name and letter, but just changed the meaning because they knew if they changed the letter, like in the people's minds, like it wouldn't mean what it's supposed to mean anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. So it's, amazing. it's amazing to me. I mean, it's so, it's fascinating. Anyway, <laughs> that'll be fun. 
All right, yeah. Well, make sure you all check out the 88.2 on the Portal Sudan feed on Spotify. Uh, if you're already listening, then you should already know. So go check that out as well. Uh, I have posted some new episodes as well. Um, well, you won't know because this will be out later, but uh, they will coincide <laughs> with what we're talking about here. Uh, so it's pretty interesting stuff. Uh, so thanks to you, uh, thank you all for listening and have a good night. Much love. Bye. Generating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining, it's a celebration. Go and tell the nation, we're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting, I've been stuck in my ways, man. I'm regenerating, raising my vibration. Curses ending with my generation. Blessings raining, it's a celebration. Go and tell the nation, we're all saved by grace. And I know I ain't boasting, I've been stuck in my ways, man. I've been stuck in my ways. How many days before it's no longer a face? God keep giving me grace. I'm giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise. Giving them thanks, I'm giving them praise. I've been stuck in my ways. How many days before it's no longer a face? God giving me grace. I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks. Giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks. I've been stuck in my ways How many days before it's no longer a face? God giving me grace I'm giving them praise, giving them thanks I'm giving them praise, I'm giving them thanks